Chloe either. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Aida Rodriguez, and this welcome to a new episode of Truth Serum. If this is your first time joining, thank you for being here today. I hope you add us to your library. Please share, subscribe, follow our channel. Um, we're not only trying to grow the show, but we're also just want to maintain a space for people of color to come and have honest conversations about issues that affect us all um, from that place. Um, that we don't feel obligated to be poster children for political parties and ideologies, but for the people, right? This is a show about the people. Um, I, I want to say thank you to all of you who have joined. Uh, as of late, we've had you know a surge in followers and people who've been sharing. So thank you. Today, I have a very special show because um, people are always telling me to stick to comedy. And um, I don't know why they think I'm not sticking to comedy. Comedy is just really dark right now. And it's been dark for a long time when you're a person of color and you're, you know, from a marginalized community. Um, but anyway, I have uh, three of my friends who are stand up comedians, um, great minds and great thinkers that are unapologetic and, uh, and are unafraid to speak their truths. And we are here and we're going to have a conversation. So Marcela Arguello is here. <laughs> the road bully. Okay. And, uh, Chloe Hilliard and Flame Monroe will be joining us uh, in a little bit. But I just wanted to uh, you know, welcome Marcella to the show. Marcella is my, my peeps. Um, first of all, let me just start by saying happy Juneteenth. Um, I, I do want to say, uh, you know, Thanks to Donald Trump, we now know what it is because um, he was so gracious enough to allow us to know what Juneteenth was and when he found out last Wednesday. But uh, I just want to say, you know, I just want to say a big congratulations to all the people who have been on the ground fighting for change. Uh, these Gen Z kids, the, the, uh, the millennials, the people who are always getting shit on by people of older generations who are unafraid to go out there and fight for what is ours. So I just want to say that. And uh, in honor of today, let's keep our foot on the gas and let's not get uh, complacent because white people are taking a day off to honor black people's struggle. So let's make sure that we keep uh, Juneteenth in perspective and just keep moving forward because we we've got a whole lot of change ahead of us and it just it doesn't start with taking the day off on this friday anyway marcella what's gonna what uh what is going on how are you i like that you were like happy juneteenth now here's this gringa pura gringa okay uh so uh just quickly flame and chloe are in a blank um waiting room um irina so can you reach out to them? Uh, you know how we do it here. We just keep it so 100. We're not, we, we're, we're, we're in real time. We're doing it. And I want to make sure that everybody's here. But Marcella, how has your life been um, on Twitter since this pandemic and coronavirus has started? Because you are one of the people that's very vocal for the people. You say gringa, but you are Latina. Yeah. And, um, you know, you got your curly hair. And to some people, they're like, you so white. And then some people like, I can see the black in you. Because that's the reality of all of us who've been colonized. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, most people who know my comedy, I've been talking about race since the jump. Like, even when I wasn't even that good of a comic, I was mm -hmm. talking about that shit. So um, <laughs> yeah, that has been fun for me, that journey of like, all right, I got to like address certain things and talk about certain things. But I've always talked about everything. And so when the pandemic hit, 
you know, having to be inside, I still had, like, I knew shit was going to go down. Like when Roy Wood Jr. did that, that thread, the Twitter thread about uh-huh. how comics have to like really start taking this really serious and think about what the next year looks like. I was already thinking about those things. Right. I was like, oh, my whole life is about to change, you know, because I'm a, I'm a road comic. And so when the pandemic hit, I was like, well, let me get these jokes while I still have like a little sense of humor left. Because <laughs> there, yeah. there was a little time, I would say, maybe in, in April, where I was like slowing down the humor a little bit because I was, I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't feel good today. Yeah, no, I feel you. So, uh, and I'm going to ask everyone today this question because this is, I get the stick to comedy. Like, why are you talking about these things? How do you respond to that? I know how you do, but I want you to share. I I, I don't listen to that. There's nobody can tell you what to do or what to say. And we're all multifaceted people. There's nobody that's like, if, if there's a person that's only doing like jokes that are political, not racial, then they're probably not that worth listening to as a, as a, as a real voice, because I think about prior, I think about Carl and like the greats talked about politics and religion and race. And so it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. Like if you're a real good comic and you care about entertaining and informing and, you know, doing, doing that full, that full show that the legends have always done, you you tap into all of it, even when you're not that good at it, you fucking, that's how else do you start? But like trying, all the different ways to do it. Ooh, Chloe. Hey. So Chloe Hilliard has joined us, who's uh, become a uh, a truth serum favorite and one of my favorite people when uh, on when we do lives together, people love us together. And of course, um, my boo flame is in the house. Fire! Hi ladies, <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever y'all at. Hey, hey everybody. <laughs> Uh, I'm so, I'm excited about this show because the it's three the best hair, all the best hair in comedy, all the best hair in comedy in one place. But uh, the three people who are on here are people who take on confrontation, take on uh, the, the issues of race and politics, and go head on and are unafraid and unapologetic. So first of all, I, I just want to jo- um, just welcome you both back. Uh, welcome you back, Chloe, and welcome you, Flame. How are you both doing? So. Chloe, what's up? I am doing great. Um, as great as you can be in a revolution. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm healthy. Um, you know, just trying to motivate and help power through this transition. So I'm excited. And Flame, Flame, you good just morning. finished doing coffee time, right? Yeah, I just finished coffee time. After I told all my people to come over here and join me with Ida Fire uh, for. The true serum, because if you can't, I told him I to give it to you right, raw, and raunchy. <laughs> yeah, and so do you. We, we, that's where we bonded. So first, I want to say, uh, those of you who are tuning in uh, that wanted to know about Flame, I plan to have Flame come back. So Flame and I are going to do a one-on-one, and we're going to break down the, the the racial dynamics of being Flame and the realities of being Flame, because there are a lot of people who have opinions about Flame, and I like for Flame to set the record straight. So uh, we're going to do this one-on-one thing with Flame. So I just want you, you people to know. But um, I asked Marcella, and I'm asking you, um, how do you deal with the whole stick to comedy thing? Um, when people tell you, why are you talking about that? Why don't you just stick to comedy? Why can't you just be funny? Why you talk, keep talking about race stuff? 
Uh, I'll start with you, um, Flame. Go ahead. Um, because Nina Simone said it best. How can you be an artist and not be relevant with what the times are that's going on around you? I'm not quoting it verbatim, but that is what she said. And that is true. You cannot be an artist and not be relevant about what is going on in the world around you. Uh, because it would make me just another comic. If I only talked about comedy, I'm still not just another comic. I'm always something different. I'm always something extraordinary just because of the person who I am. How you choose to live your life is your business because how I choose to live and do my life is mine. Yes, I'm going to talk about politics because politics affects me and not just because I'm transgender, but because I'm black and because I'm an American and I live in this wretched country right now that it affects me personally. So and I have children. So, of course, I'm going to speak about anything and everything. If you are uncomfortable, that is your issue. That has absolutely nothing to do with me. Chloe, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because. I have been doing comedy for 10 years and I actually for the first probably seven and a half did a terrible job of showing myself as a comedian on social media. So I didn't put up like video clips. I didn't do a lot of like come to a show. So uh, people knew me from being a journalist and I just was doing regular social media. So when I started uh, doing more comedy stuff and getting new fans, they kind of already saw that I was talking about real stuff anyway. So it wasn't like I came out doing skits with wigs and niggas ain't shit. And then all of a sudden I'm like, we need to defund the police. It's like they already kind of knew what they signed up for. And and sometimes people, you know, see me from something else and they follow me. Like I've had somebody um, unfollowed me because I was calling out like racism and stuff. And he was like, I saw you at the cellar and you were so funny. And I was like, and then you should have known that I talk <laughs> about real stuff. Like I, you think I give a fuck that you unfollow me. Thank you for supporting live comedy and unfollow my page. I, I could care less. Yeah. So we, we're going to, we, we, what I do want to talk about is that everybody here, because I, I, I'm friends with everybody on here today, I know receives a certain level of vitriol for being a woman, uh, uh, flame for being trans. Right? <laughs> and, I was waiting on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Well, you know, I know you. I know you and I know you. She, we, you, we, what is it? We, she, he, she, we. So I know that you are, you have taken on your ownership of your identity and not allowed anybody to tell you who you are. And that when you speak, you speak from a perspective of being black, which is what people see first and what, you know, people try to like ignore because they want to adopt you into their causes. Marcella, you are Latina and, you know, you always you always speak about utilizing your privilege because of your complexion and the way that people perceive you as being white passing. And you always speak about those things. Um, but you have come under fire from Tucker Carlson on Fox News, which is a goal for all of us here because we are like, bring it on, bitch. Ain't nobody over here scared. Um, you know, you this has to affect your your psyche like everybody else. You know, you what do you do with all that hate? I mean, I like it. I, I like it. Because <laughs> it's also just you. Yes, we want uh, people to laugh at our jokes. But more than anything, if you get a reaction from people, that means they're hitting a nerve. And if their reaction is you white passing bitch, like you fucking should try to be funny. It's like, mm, maybe you should try to have a sense of humor about all things 
instead of telling me how I need to navigate my shit because my audiences love my shit. Sometimes I do shows, a predominantly white audience who is uncomfortable. And then after the show, the one black girl in the audience comes up to me and she was like, you really gave it to them. Thank you. You know, like, and I don't do comedy for white boys. Like I don't, that's not my shit. If white boys like my shit, cool, buy a t-shirt. But I, I don't give a fuck if they don't like me. That's not my audience. That's never been my audience. I don't even care if that'll never be my audience. I do it for us. Yeah. And uh, Chloe, what about you when it comes to, you know, you have a, a very intellectual way to dealing with people, but one thing you will do is- Are you calling me an ignorant bitch? No. <laughs> No, because, you know, Chloe is who I call when I'm, I, I know I'm about to be problematic. And I'm like, but what I was going to say about Chloe, though, she'll get off in that ass, too. So yeah. it's like, don't get it twisted. Right. You know? Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, yeah, for me, um, getting in that ass is kind of like a last resort because it's like mm. you, you've got me to care enough that I have to reply. Like, like me being direct is like my last approach because I'll just ignore you and like, yeah, I don't really care. But if I have to formulate words, I'm gonna let you have it because now you got me worked up and I had to spend energy to address this bullshit. And a lot of times that's when people uh, backpedal because I hit them with facts. I hit them with links. I'm like, so if you said this, then you need to understand that blah, 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 blah. And that's the journalist in me. And then they'll be like, oh, it was not that serious. And I'll be like, see, now I'm wasting my time. You got me wasting my time. So Flame, when you did the Breakfast Club, you sent me text messages. People were threatening you and people came for you. And you know, one thing about you that I've always, uh, that I, it's, I always consider, and I don't say it trying to be condescending, but the reality of, of who you are is something that a lot of people who have privilege can never relate to because of the reality of being black, you know, in America, in Los Angeles, in a marginalized community. And so when you speak from that perspective, some of these these motherfuckers who don't, they're like, what are you, well, why are you using the proper pronouns? And so you have a very interesting way of dealing with people because you're very confrontational. Well, understand me. Understand that the, the hate that I received was not from the heterosexual community. Let, let's start where it came from. The root came, it came from the LGBT community, mostly the black trans women because I was not speaking for them. I was speaking for me. First of all, I'm a comic, but if, when we go through this whole the Black Lives Matter movement and all that, and all lives do matter. Let me let me make sure I make that very clear. All lives matter, but the, the but the the point that we that we're out right now, the principle that we're pushing is Black Lives Matter. So I hate the fact that we're trying to have an infight with the separation of the races because my birth certificate. I looked at it last night. Whatever adjective I add to my life, comedian, father, prisoner, prostitute, teacher, author, whatever else, my, my birth certificate says sex, male, black. I am a black male first and foremost. Everything else is added on throughout my life. So I know exactly who I am and I pass biology. I know that this don't look like this. So the people who are confused with their sexuality and upset with me, baby, I have absolutely nothing to do with that. When I speak, most of the time I speak from a parental from a parental perspective because I'm a father of three. But I am a comedian. That is how I make my livelihood. That is how I make my money. The problem with the Breakfast Club is everybody wanted me to go on there and be confrontational with Charlemagne because he had such a notorious reputation of tearing down the LGBT community. But Charlemagne met me where I was at because I strongly believe that people treat you 
the way they see you treat yourself. I walked in with my head held high, spoke like I always speak. Me and Charlemagne were cool like brothers. Me and D.L. DL Hughley the exact same way. And either you got me on both of those shows. D.L. Hughley had the same thing in his head that Charlemagne had. We're going to be fighting about LGBT issues. They talk to me as a comedian, whether it be man to man, woman to woman, or professional to professional. They treated me the way I treat me. So I yeah. appreciate it. I don't want think. And I think the, the thing that's important is that um, when people have an opportunity to engage with someone one-on-one, it kind of dissipates all of the preconceived notions that they had. But sadly, it shouldn't have to take that. It shouldn't take you meeting someone from a different race or identity in order for you to humanize and sympathize with the movement. And I think that's what the biggest issue is now. It's like everybody wants to be seen and heard. And it's like so many voices screaming for attention that they are, they are in some some people's mindset canceling canceling each other out right well and what i was i wanted to make correct you i didn't get you on those shows you got you on those shows i was just (laughs) all right like you know you but no, I know a bunch of people me. who want to be on the Breakfast Club, and I can't get them on there. No? <laughs> so I, I, uh, you, you did the work. I was just the conduit by way it happens. So I don't like. I like to make sure that I don't do that. But what I was gonna say is this: is what what my, should it must be amazing to be white and just to be able to be an individual, right? Whereas where we go, everywhere we go, we have to represent an entire group of people. And it, and it is such a burden because when you were on the breakfast club and you were there, you were there on behalf of flame. You had just had a special that was very successful and really getting your just due that you've been working for so many years in this business and that you have to feel the burden to represent. Everybody can be so difficult and so hard on a person. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. What I'm saying is that it, it is heavy. And that is something that white people will never understand where they Ted Bundy can just fucking be Ted Bundy. And that nobody is saying, look at these fucking all of the white people. They're all fucking. Evil. Well, not only that is like Ted, Ted Bundy can have movies made about him and still profit off of killing women. Yeah. So uh, there's a question here for you, uh, Marcella. If, I have a, if a group of people outside of your attended in, intended audience participates and genuinely enjoys your comedic skills how do you handle that is it still us against them you or the, you and them or can i find you first time i know if you don't want to enjoy your comedy so basically what you said about you going in on the white people if they actually because they were uncomfortable if they actually like you all right i guess that people don't realize that when you what you say that you're going in on white people is that you're speaking about the truths of the realities of being marginalized and it's not you trying to attack white people it's just you trying to open their eyes i mean it's also just a different perspective so people if you want to be offended by a joke i can't control that i can't control that outcome you know if i say the wrong thing to you it could be the right thing to the person you're sitting next to that is looks exactly like you i mean i know what i said earlier was almost a, a exaggeration because it's not like i i leave a show and every white person is like fuck that bitch. i mean that's not true either but I mean, I just I've I've done shows with rooms of all mostly white people who fucking were wait, counting the seconds down to leave, even though they can leave whenever they want. And of course, people people of all races like me, but it's usually the smarter people. I'm smart as relative. Um, but I mean, I, if you like me, like me. If you don't, you don't. I can't. For, I don't like to force myself on anybody's throat. You know. I mean, so- I don't, 
I, I feel you. No, what I was going to say is like, so we, we look at the headlines every week, right? And so the headlines for this year, when we talk about the beginning of the year to right now, the headlines have been so fucking heavy. And so I'm writing jokes, right? I'm getting ready for, for my next thing. But my jokes are a reflection of what's happening around me right now, right? So when we talk about Breonna Taylor and we talk about Ahmaud Aubrey, which is the people that it's easier to see that and be unaffected when those people don't look like you, don't remind you of where you come from. You know, the young uh, Mexican a boy that was lynched by police officers in Vallejo. When you see a reflection of yourself, you know, you're affected by that. Your psyche is affected. It comes out in the art. And that's that's reality of uh, the reality of being an artist. You, If you're not affected by what's going on, then you probably, you know, you probably got something wrong with you. But you know, we we as women, you know, the the rea the truth of being a woman is that we are we're still fighting for our rights. And then when you add the layers of being women of color, and 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 whatever, uh, and flame being transgender and he she we, there's you know, understanding what it's like to be a black man in America is very specific to being a black man. And then being a black woman, you know, with they get ignored and people don't want to acknowledge that they're being traumatized and brutalized too. There are a lot of complexities to this and it's pretty heavy. And so I, I did want to talk about some of the headlines with, with everyone here because our perspectives are not being amplified and highlighted in mainstream media. What you keep hearing is white people saying, oh, the poor black people, or this is not real. When we think, when you think about Breonna Taylor, um, and when you think about the young woman who was hit in the face with a skateboard, yeah, what, is, so. what are some of the things you think? Flame, I want to start with you because I think that we got to hold ourselves accountable too, right? I think we all need to be prepared and get you some hand jewelry. Let me just say it like that. Get you some hand jewelry. If you don't understand what I mean, you might not be able to wait the 90 days to be approved. <laughs> no Ray Ray them and handle your function. That's the first thing because being prepared is number one. Secondly, with the black men in America, the way the police are pulling black men over. And let me tell you a true story that happened to me, which which made me know a power that I had, but was a very fearful for me. I was pulled over by a white police officer maybe 10, 11 years ago here in California on the 405. Um, he, he was very aggressive. He was young. He was angry. And I'm complicit. I know the rules. I have taught my children to have the black talk with my children. When you are stopped by the police, you keep your hands steady. You keep your composure. You don't get aggressive. You don't raise your voice. The officer snatched me out of the car, slammed me up against the car. I was very complicit. He handcuffed me. He was roughing me up by, by forcing me to the car. But as he started patting me down, he touched my breast. And he was like, what the fuck is that? And I had to explain that I was transgender. I'm a female impersonator. I'm a drag queen. Whatever it did to him in his psyche, the fear of me being a black man dissipated. And it went to, oh, I'm disgusted. I hate you. Get away from me. But he unhandcuffed me and let me go. Wow. I knew then the power of that was a life or death moment for me because they are more afraid of a black man than they are of a transgender person. So now when I'm stopped by the police, I put my hands out the window and say, officer, I'm transgender, I'm a drag queen, I'm a man with breasts. Anything to lower that screen to take away his fear factor so that I can get home to my children. I learned that from trial and error. So the same things that happened in this country, I just learned 
And in the hard way, the difference is because I needed to get home to my children. So now if I'm stopped by the police, that's what I do. It, it is sad that I have to say that. And I say that on stage as a joke, but I live that. And what these young, angry, forceful officers, giving a person a gun does not give you courage. It just gives you fear and panic. Because if you are already afraid of my beautiful black skin, there's nothing I can do to change that. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Chloe, you know, when we talk about Breonna Taylor and we talk about all of the headlines and, and we, we, you and I have these conversations about how women are often ignored in the conversation. I, I want you to speak. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's a very complex situation. Part of it is I feel that black men are trying to establish their own uh, status in the world of patriarchy. And a part of that is to look at white men and see how white women interact with white men. And they want to, some of them, not all, but some of them want to um, replicate that. And a part of that is to constantly say, I'm a man, I'm a king and black women ain't this and black women ain't that to kind of get us to fall in line, like how they see or think white women fall in line with black men. And it is a life or death situation for us. You know, when you have a, when you have toxic masculinity and this fight for dominance between black men and black women, nine times out of 10 black women are going to be the loser in that situation. And so I think a lot of the things that I see on social media, when it comes to black men attacking, berating black women is their own quest for dominance. And it is a losing battle because it's, that's just not the way we were supposed to be as a people. You know, when you look at ancient civilizations, especially African civilizations, there was an understanding, there was a partnership, there was a level of women who could own property, who could rule land. And it wasn't like, do as I say. And I think that's a very uh, European mindset to kind of make women demure and replicate it. That it's just not a realistic scenario for us. And so it's just going to be us, you know, beating each other, um, going head to head until somebody relents. And I don't think black women are going to relent. I think black women is like, oh, y'all really not going to listen. We got to take matters into our own hands. Uh, Marcella, you and I have a very specific conversation because within the Latino spectrum, there's a lot of toxic masculinity and machismo. And I've seen you tweet because uh, I know you lost your father and you loved your dad. But I know I've seen you tweet about how your dad was machista. And so when we have these conversations, which people don't don't realize, I, the, my my the, the, the group of people who hate me the most, in addition to white men, are Latino men, because I'm very uh, because I speak about liberal issues and I'm because of who I am. Right. You you. How do you what what is your experience within the Latino spectrum? Because I know that we rub we rub those those men and they're shorter than us. <laughs> we rub them the wrong way. I mean, yes, my dad was super misogynistic and it was as soon as I could put thoughts together I was like seven or eight years old when I was like mm, that shit don't make no sense sir and we would get into our own arguments and so I was raised knowing like oh men men think women are not equal and I knew it, I knew it wasn't right and then as I got older it just turned into this these more complex layered ideas but he was also someone who championed my mom and made sure that you know she was capable of running her own business and so it's complicated. Like I, I know that it's hard for a lot of machismo men, but going back to what Chloe had said about how it's unfortunate that you have to have the one-on-one -on -one 
relationship with someone who's different than you to be able to empathize with them. But that those are the contributing elements that help us progress as as a people. Unfortunately, we, we do have to like know these people. And I and I say that as someone who, you know, like my own father thought I was less than because I was a girl. And so I I think that and yes, you're right. I mean you are the same. A lot of Latino men do not like me. A lot of Latino men are, you know, when I used to open for Felipe Esparza, who is a Latino man who loves me, mm-hmm. his audience is, whoa, man, sometimes it was really hard with them because they didn't know what to think of me. And they just, it was, it's been, it's been a journey with Latino men and then to navigate that whole place and, you know, men are shit. <laughs> Wait a minute now. Hold on. The whole both sides of the world. I love it. I love that flame. So flame is always a uh, flame. You are, you know what you are? You are the worst of them. Cause you always, oh, wait a minute no. now. I'm no, uh, all the worst parts of everybody. Yeah. Flame, 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 flame is like, flame is like oh, Switzerland, God. like neutral, but can side with everybody. Right. I'm all <laughs> over the place. Uh, I am. Um, I, I do want to say uh, today is Juneteenth and I did want to honor um, what you know? What, what, what's happening in the world today? And um, like I said, that we're going to keep our foot on the on the gas, and we're going to keep the revolution going. Just because they give us a holiday or they take Aunt Jemima off the, like they could do all of that after. For me, I want to see it in policy. I want to see laws being passed. I want to see uh, you know the economy affected in a way that is going to benefit people of color. And then you can take Aunt Jemima off the thing. I, don't start with Aunt Jemima for me. For me, like that, don't try to pacify me with these acts. And it was funny because we talked about it earlier that Juneteenth became a a holiday so that white people could take a day off of work (laughs) to commemorate the, you know, the struggle and the pain of black people. Because even though we're selling, we call we say happy Juneteenth, we we know what happened since has happened since then, and that we're still talking about this. So there was a video of a little a little boy who was playing basketball, and every time the cop would drive by, the little boy would hide. And um, and I, as a mom, was affected by, by that in, in such a, a a big way because when you listen to the the rhetoric of Donald Trump, that seems very aggressive and very threatening in terms of what he said about the. The Tulsa uh, Klan reading uh, rally that he's about to have, telling people, and I, and you know it's cold for people of color. To all of you protesters, this won't be Minneapolis. This won't be. It is like a challenge to us. And so I personally have felt I feel like I'm tired of the high road, and I want to know how you feel about this. I am. I'm really like I'm tired of being apologetic, being a child of. Uh, 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 a, an Afro-Latina of immigrants and we got blackness. We have all of this it, and, and everybody's meek and, you know, thank you for letting us come here. And we really would just want to work. I'm tired of that shit. I'm ready. I'm like, y'all, y'all keep talking to us like we don't have hands. How do you feel about this reality that we're dealing with where even the president is challenging us, you know? Um, and so I'll start with you, Chloe, cause I see you talking. Um, 
I was telling my dog to shush, but um, yeah, I do believe that um, violence is the only way to get real answers. And you saw how quickly they indicted those four police officers in Minneapolis once people took to the streets, even when Atlanta, as soon as they burned down that Wendy's, the next thing you know, they've arrested the man who shot um, Raynard in the back. And unfortunately, until people in Kentucky light that motherfucker up, there will be no moves to arresting the four officers who killed Breonna Taylor in her sleep and that's just the way it has to be and the, and the messed up thing is even though they're going to eventually arrest those people when people get violent they're going to tell them like hey you know we're doing we, you know like they, they appeal to the police like you know we have to do this so that we can save the city it's not really for justice so let them have to do their backdoor deal because in the end they have to answer for what happened Claim. Go ahead, Marcella. I agree. I just want to say if, if people aren't familiar with what Chloe's talking about, it's been discussed by a lot of activists. There's a great book called This Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed. It's a great book if you've never considered that, you know, the, the other side, the, the non-white side would use violence to, to make things happen. I mean, slavery slaves did not become free by sitting around waiting. That's, they, that's what they want you to think, but that's they, they fucking, they, they handle shit. They have to. Yeah. Slay. I agree with that. I agree with what she, what she said, Michelle said, but especially about the whole um, we have to be accountable as black people too for the stuff that we allow to get away with. That whole Amber Geiger case where she went in the wrong house and shot the black guy on his couch, but the black judge came off the bench and gave her a Bible and a hug. Yeah, I got I got fought with the judge. Yeah, I got a problem with. It's like I had to do this for because this is my job and people are watching. I didn't appreciate that at all because I felt like Amber Geiger was completely in the wrong because. First of all, you was on the phone with your married boyfriend who was in the bed with his wife and you was upset because he couldn't be with you. So you walked in the wrong house and shot an innocent man sitting on his couch and got 10 years. I hope she never hears or gets another day of sleep. First of all, the rest of her life. I hope the bitch is awake for the whole 10 years because when you don't get the right sleep, it drives you crazy. Uh, <laughs> secondly, as a people, we have to start. We have to meet fire with fire. I'm completely with you, Ida. All this taking the high road and mm -hmm. turning the other cheek. I would not have lasted in the comedy game had I had that mentality. I've been in the game 20 years. And this was with other comedians, all colors, who treated me like dog poop. And I stayed in the game because I'm going to stand up to you. You're not going to chase me away. I'm not going to put my tail between my legs and run off. This is it. You want to fight fire? This is why I thought Kamala Harris would have been a great match to debate with Donald Trump, even though I think he's going to cheat anyway. But I never saw Kamala Harris being the president or the vice president because I needed her to clean up her mess first. I, I, like, <laughs> I, like, I like her bulldog tenacity, and I know toe-to-toe -to -toe she would drag his ass. Yeah. But in order for her to move that needle further, she got to clean up that old needle back in San Francisco and yeah. Oakland. She know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I still like her. I still want her on the cabinet if Joe Biden wins. I still want her in part of that. But going to Donald Trump and pussyfooting around, this is how Hillary lost to me. She was being too white woman walking around. Mm -hmm. You should have hit that nigga in his head with a hammer with, <laughs> with, your, with your mouth verbally in order to shut him down. But she didn't. You see that that being complicit and doing it the white way don't work. You have to do it a whole nother way because Donald mm -hmm. Trump does not care. And that's what they seem to be. Uh, people seem to be going. His followers and his Kool-Aid drinkers go to his foolishness and his rhetoric. So we're going to have to come in and meet him exactly where he is. You meet people where they are. He could yeah. be shut down because he's an idiot. So it's easy to shut him down. He's an idiot. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you and you know what I will say is when we say doing the the things the white way, it's only the white way when they're talking with regards to us because the white way is going into people's countries and destabilizing their country, stealing people's money, going to kidnap a whole people and telling the people y'all did this to yourselves. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. slavery. You talk about the natives, the First Nations people that they have been so violent for so long, but they and then they turn around to us and say you have the right to a peaceful pro protest. And, the, and then we we accept that, right? And then, you know, the, let me tell you what my grandmother would have said about Dylan Roof. Uh, the, the, they should have, the, the black people should have beat his ass. They should have set his ass on fire. That's mm -hmm. what would come from my grandmother's mouth because my grandmother was like constantly uh, experiencing, she got spit on. And, 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 and I'll tell you that when it comes to the Latino community and people who are immigrants, they are even more meek because they're made to feel like it is a it is a privilege to be able to come here and work your ass off a lot for a little that we allow you to come here on land that used to belong to your ancestors. Like imagine stepping on the farm of somebody whose great great grandpapa owned and they will tell you this is my grandfather's land. Well, this is my grandfather's land. Yeah. And we have this 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 idea of being meek, but that shit was fed to us by them. Um, I get angry. So we agree. I mean, that's the thing. I think that's what we need to do. We need to get angry. That's what we need to do. We need to get angry, but uh, in our anger, we still have to stay focused and stay diligent. People hear you more when you're angry, but your words convey clear and concise. The cussing and the hoopla high and the ain't. They don't hear that. They just see two people going back and forth. In between all that anger, we need to know, we need to research, know our facts, and know exactly what to say in that moment of anger to shut the person that we're angry with completely down. Then your message is conveyed. Uh, you know, Barack Obama was the smoothest dude I ever seen with that. He was he could be angry as hell, but his his words were so clear and concise that you always heard his message. Always. They don't hear your message. They just see I thought he was a argue. sociopath for a while because I was like, he was what? so cool. He was so calm. <laughs> Marcella, so you were gonna calm. say something. What were you gonna say? Mar Marcella, you were oh. gonna say something. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just keep thinking about how I always think about how when when we watch AOC talking to all these white men in power and how I I I, I used to be involved in politics when I was you know my early twenties and I got out of it because I was like oh I got a bad temper like I I can't, I got to use my voice in, in a more constructive different way because I I just watch AOC and I cannot imagine if I was in her position every time some white dude talked to me I'd be like first of all bitch. And then, you know, <laughs> because I don't have that, I don't have that that, that ability to like hold hold and be smooth, you know, as we do. But so yeah. I, I mean, anybody that does, you know, but I have a yeah, no, and so we 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 like to have conversations about solutions. Chloe, were you going to say something? No, I was just looking at the the post that was presented on the screen that says anger is not enough. We must strategize and execute all take discipline. And I do think that in this case, anger is needed because if as you've seen, there's so many when I, I was I went to the park for the first time since um, we've been self isolating in New York City. And as I walked into the park to go to um, like a little kid's birthday party, I see this massive, massive protest, peaceful walking, chanting Black Lives Matter. And 90 percent of 
the people in that park protesting for Black Lives Matter were not black. And I said to myself, good for them. It's about about time they get angry because we've been angry. So, yeah, Yeah. it is time for anger because now that they see that there are non-black people or non-people of color, white people who are taken to the streets, who are protesting, even if they are the ones that setting the Wendy's on fire, you can't ignore that now because they've been gaslighting people uh, people of color in this country for so long. It's our fault that we got killed by the police. What were we doing? Why were our hands up? Why didn't we listen? And now that you see it's not us us everybody needs to be angry and that's the first step the first step is be angry take to the streets if you need to get violent get violent because violence in this country gets answers yeah and you know what i was going to say is that one of their mechanisms has always been to make us uh don't be the angry black woman don't be the angry latina don't be the angry black man that's a that is a, a strategy that is a mechanism to that is all that's that's how they fuck with our heads right because yeah. we get caught up in well i don't want to be the angry black woman why wouldn't you be angry if you are a black woman in America? The, the issue is that people think that anger is negative. And, and the reality is anger is a reaction to something. And that anger is, a, is an emotion that it should be allowed. It's cathartic. It can, be, it can be good. I mean, yeah, people use their anger in the wrong ways all the time. We see that. And that's what complicates I, I, it. I, I, I agree. I, I so agree with that because I completely can relate to raw emotion. Whatever I'm feeling at that moment, I hate when I like I see a mother who has lost her son on TV through police violence or through mm-hmm. senseless murder, and they tell the lawyers and the people get in her head and say, "You have to act a certain way on TV. Yeah. You can't be." Li-. I'm every emo. If it's my baby, every emotion I'm feeling, you're gonna know it because that's exactly how I'm going to react. Right. You can't tell me how to feel about some senseless officer has killed my child innocently because he was an idiot. You can't tell me how to feel. I don't like people telling. I like to see the raw emotion. It makes me know that you are human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we talk about that and the, the we're protesting and we see now that a lot of white people and other people of colors and uh, other people of color have joined in on the fight that, um, you know, some for selfish reasons, because now they're starting to feel the pressure and understanding that they too um, matter, mean nothing in this country. And then some people for reasons of empathy, how do we move, what's the path forward with allyship? Because one thing that I will say to you that I am frustrated with is that um, there, there is so much criticism all the time on social media that even when people try to help, and, and listen, I, I don't think it's the responsibility of black people to educate white people on the journey or the struggle. I don't think that it's the responsibility of the women to I- explain to men about the journey of, of, of women. But I will say this, I had the benefit of going to college and I had the benefit of having a different life than my uncles. So when my uncles say something that's problematic, I do feel like it's my responsibility to correct them because he's part of my village and I want my village to win. So if we keep doing this separation thing where it's nobody's responsibility to help anybody, when some of us get to go to college and have the opportunities that others don't, how do we move forward in allyship within our own communities if we have this individualistic attitude about well, it ain't my job to, you know, how are we going to move forward when we don't have empathy with with, our, with each other? I want to thank the good white folk, the good Latino folk, the good Asian folk, the good indigenous folk that's all standing out there marching with us. Because as a black people, we can't do this by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Slavery wasn't even done by ourselves. The abolitionists were mostly white because back mm-hmm. then 
it was illegal for a slave to ride a horse or hold a gun or hold any kind of weapon that would that would you know put master's life in danger. So if we didn't have good white folk helping us then, we would have never been able to have the Underground Railroad. Harriet Tubman would have never been able to get as many slaves away as she did because we couldn't own anything. So I want us to thank all the people that are standing out there on the front line helping us. Now, we do have some instigators and agitators. i like for you all to pay attention to who's around you and what's going on around you. As comics, all of us are comics. We are all very well aware of our surroundings because that's what comedians do. We always know what's going on around us. And I want to thank the black woman while I'm on here right now because I'm not familiar with a whole lot of other races as far as women go, but I I know that the black women, the master couldn't stay out the out the slave quarters for the bottom half of her body, and the the, the wife of the master couldn't stay out the slave quarters for the top of her body. So when people keep running around here telling stuff, I'm pure this and I'm pure that. If your great 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 grandmama gave Kizzy her titty to suck because she didn't want to lose the form of her breast, there is bread and uh, blood and breast milk. Trust and believe. We running all up and through you. It kills me that the white boys and the Latino boys, and I'm talking about the gay ones and the straight ones, or, or people who are racist, you want black in you, but you don't want black on you. Get it yep. together, David. Get it together. <laughs> wow, that that's a mic drop. Go ahead, Chloe. <laughs> no, but that but that's a part of the that's a part of the knowledge. The part of the knowledge is they don't want to acknowledge that. Or or even if you know, look at the modern day dynamic of black women raising white families. I live in New York City. I see black nannies all the time. That's how I knew phase one had opened up in the city in the city because I walked my dog and I saw a black <laughs> woman with a white baby, and I was like, Oh, y'all back to work. So Yes, we are still building other people's families and they don't want to assist us in raising and building our own families. And so I think that they have to do the work. I'm not having conversations with white people about blackness no more. Mm -hmm. There's books, there's library cards. Um, you ask yourself, how do you feel when you saw George Floyd lose his life on uh, 10 minutes of video? You ask yourself how you felt when you saw Raynard running for his life and getting shot in the back. And if you don't feel anything, then that's a problem that you need to take up with your higher ups because you might be dead inside. Yeah. When I, when I say that uh, the, about the village, I'm not talking about educating white people. I'm saying how do, how can we appreciate allyship and still uh, move forward? One thing, but when I'm talking about the education of each other, I'm talking about our own village. And I, and I mean, you know, I correct my mother if my mother says something that is, uh, it's hateful towards women because she was indoctrinated to hate herself as a woman. And I'll say, mommy, you don't say that because this, this is, this is you being self-hating and because this is like, I think, so when, because we see these, these, there's a big battle right now. Okay, I get really frustrated about uh, fr frustrated about this. I called you about it, Chloe. When I see Mexicans trending, I see Dominicans trending, I see J. Cole trending, I see a whole bunch of things trending, and then I see the people who are defending it and the people who are promoting it, and then I see the MAGA hashtag. It is so they are they are engaging in our beefs to fuel them to further divide us, right? Because the truth is that there is anti-blackness within the Mexican community, but there are a lot of Mexican people getting their heads busted by the police who are marching and want to see a better world for us all. How do we within our own community hold ourselves accountable and are able to have conversations about progress? Um, in, in a way that is constructive, because what I, I'm seeing is them spilling their poison and keeping their poison, poison in us. And we're not being able to 
decipher that they're dividing us further. Yeah, I think just to, to answer that real quick, I think the, the biggest lesson will be economics because it's easier to tell people to invest than it is to unfortunately uplift because it is that individualistic being like, well, I don't know him. Why do I care about? But if you start with like, let's have economic, if you pull your money here and you'll see better returns, like I think some people will respond better to like, how can I make money and, and help versus just helping with no, no, no payoff. And that's fucked up, but that's just a capitalistic society. So Catherine, you say Latinx, not Mexican. Uh, let me be specific. I was being specific about Mexicans were trending and, and they were, they were showing examples of Mexican people protesting about what was happening within, uh, with the children in the cages and what was happening with the Mexican community. And then it became a battle of how that that was insensitive because what was going on with Black Lives Matter. But then when you go to see the tweets, it's MAGA people. The, the, the big controversy was coming from Central Americans reacting to the way that Mexicans are out there saying Black Lives Matter and all that but a lot of a lot of the violence that's happening to a lot of the people in these you know in these ice cages are um central american people and so and there's a big issue with you know the way the mexicans react to central americans coming into mexico it's it's a messy topic mm -hmm. and that's why people were reacting the way they were reacting the mexicans were were um trending, trending. and so it's, it's it's you're asking Many questions within a, a global problem, Ida, and and that's why what we're all kind of I think having a hard time answering the question directly because what you are asking is basically how do we function in allyship on a day to day basis within like non white people, and it's a matter of fucking doing it every day, being aware, seeing shit, speaking up. I mean that's a problem with why we're at where we're at. People wait to speak up. People hold it in. That's where the anger comes from. Like, how often do you have to speak up for yourself? How often do you have to speak up for other people? I mean, that's where the frustrations come within our society. It's within our own families. Where they tell you, oh, you don't talk about religion and politics at the dinner table. But you should. That's what you should be talking about. So you can see which of your feels, which of your aunts are fucking racist and stupid and misogynistic. So you can fucking check them. And uh, I've been, like, again, since I was seven years old, we together, reacting to everything going on around me. And that made me the problem for a lot of people. But I didn't give a fuck. I was like, why can't I speak up about this shit? I should mm -hmm. be speaking up about this shit. And, and on top of that, when I was a kid, my grandma, my racist-ass grandma, would tell me I was beautiful because of my white skin. And she would not tell my sister the same thing. And it, it stuck out to me. Like, there's something wrong with that sense. I'm not pretty because of my white skin. You can call me ugly in the face. Like, what the fuck? And so it's the type of shit that, like, if you're not calling it out when you see it, you know, those, those microaggressions, you have to react to it. You have to react to it in your family, with our friends, with where we work. And it's frustrating because at work, there's consequences. There's real consequences, which we're always fighting about. And, and you know, they pass, you know, the discrimination laws against LGBTQ people. But even how do you fucking, they'll just tell you, oh, we don't like the way you dress. Like, there's so many ways around these things. And we have to hold each other accountable on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're right. White, I mean, white people need to educate themselves in the in the same way that so many of us have educated ourselves beyond the education that is in the. Uh, hear me yeah. when I tell you that I'm not defending just the white people. But what's so scary to me now is that this current administration and the state of the world has made every nationality understand me. 
every nationality thinks that they are better than black. I have a problem with that. Sure. Maybe the Mexicans are against the black. The, and hear me, black people as a sympathetic people, because when Donald Trump kept saying that the coronavirus was from China, China, and they were attacking Chinese people, I felt sympathy for that. But understand the experiences that I have had with Asian people. Yes. Not all, but some have been very degrading. They feel better and entitled. So have a lot, a lot of Latino people. The rhetoric and hate that he is spewing across the masses is not just to the white people. Yeah. They he got dark and brown, brown and black people thinking that we are better than each other and hating each other. They, mm -hmm. we, gotta fix, uh, we gotta fix that before we cross well, over to the white yeah. table. Well, the only way to really fix that is to dismantle white supremacy, because once you pull back the curtain and they realize there's no whiz, then they realize that they are fighting each other for no real reason. And so it's like it's like it's like imagine having children and they're all vying for daddy's affection. They want to be the favorite. And that's how I kind of that girl. Hold on. I live that. <laughs> but I <laughs> But you know, yes. but that's how I kind of that's how I kind of view like white supremacy is like everybody's like, look at me, I'm the best of right. the rest, I'm the good one. Take me in your house, make yeah. me your adopted kid. And it's like once you realize that that system is flawed at the top, then you're gonna rethink your motivation. Yeah, and you know what I do want to say is this. Um, and when I was saying that the Mexicans were trending and the Dominicans because of what happened in Dykeman, I did see a lot of MAGA hashtags, right? Because they jump in to defend whoever is doing the oppressing at the moment. Mm -hmm. But when, when and, and listen, Flame, because the anti-Blackness, it is a global issue and it happens in Asia. And, you know, let's be real. Asians are the white minority and they are treated differently because they're perceived to be more intelligent. They're in mathematics. They're in science. But the, the truth is that this administration has had its moment in doing that with everybody. Like when Donald Trump says black people love Donald Trump, that's my African-American. And then he says the Mexican immigrants are all rapists and murderers. And then he tells the black people, the Mexicans are coming to take your crumbs. Right. And then it, it, and then now the Chinese people are like, wait a minute, what do you mean the Chinese virus? And I'm like, y'all motherfuckers thought y'all were white up until this moment. And now they're reminding you that they're not. And then Puerto Ricans who think they're special because they have citizenship, have a hurricane and they're dying and then that motherfucker goes over there and throws bounty paper towels at them. So the reality is, is that they're doing what they've always been doing is causing division amongst all of us and telling, you know, like there's a movie with Nicolas Cage and Barbara Streisand with the mama was evil and she told all the kids that they were her favorite, but she was a terrible mother. And that's what they do with minorities. It's like, you know, y'all are favorite, but then, and then, then, then you'll see what they really do. So how do we how do we properly try to find some find some solidarity amongst ourselves? That that movie is called A Prince of Ties. That's what Nick knows. I know exactly what. Yes, yes. I love that movie. It was an evil mom. Remember the mom? Yes, she told all, she told all her kids they were her favorite. Uh, I tried that. Did, that. I tried that in my black house. It didn't work. All of them, <laughs> <they> all... <laughs> So how do we form solidarity? And, and I want to ask Chloe, I want to ask Flame, I want to ask Marcella, because people tell me all the time, you know, you you always banging for these black people. And I'm like, yo, we are the fucking black people. What are you talking about? What a black, do you, have you ever been to the Dominican Republic? Do you see the picture of my grandmother who used to get a perm every week? What do you mean the black people? We are the black people and yeah. we mistreat them everywhere, even within our own countries and mm -hmm. they belong to us. Mm -hmm. So how do we form true solidarity in this? 
I think it's going to take a really long time, honestly. I really do. Because, you know, we've been uh, existing in this system for hundreds of years and you're not going to just unlearn it. it. We may not see it in our lifetime, but hopefully in the generations ahead, I think there are a lot of Gen Z kids who are like, what is race? What is gender? Who gives a fuck? And that, you know, might be the start of the answer. But when it comes to just the simple understanding of like, we don't have to attack one another. Like we don't. And I think this is the other thing. I think it's not realistic to want everybody to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But I do think that there's a certain level of like stability that we need to have. It's like, I respect your culture and your community. You respect my culture and my community. We can engage and, you know, economically do business, but, you know, I, we don't have to, you know, break bread. And I think that is a fair enough start. That's a start. Mm -hmm. Marcella? I just think that in a, in a personal sense, people's allyship have to happen day to day. Um, and you have to look at where you work and what your life is and what your lifestyle is and who you surround yourself with, but what you're doing. And I'm just gonna use a small example for me, when, you know, when we were open, I ran a show called Women Crush Wednesdays. I only booked women and, 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 and Flame's done it, Ida's done it. I don't know if Chloe's done it, but that's cause you're in New York, but we'll have you whenever, or maybe you've done it, I don't know. Um, but I think about how I would actively do the work to make sure that I booked, you know, uh, every, everybody. Right. I, I was like, if we have two white girls, that's I'm done. That's cap. Like, I don't need more than that because we need all the voices. You know, uh, there's so many different comics. And, and everybody, when I first started that show, everybody, I mean, like everybody, I mean, a lot of non non women comics were like, that show's not going to last. You're going to run a comics in six months. And we didn't. We went two years weekly and then I turned it into monthly because I was just exhausted. And here's the thing about that anytime, a young woman comic did my show, other producers around town, they knew that that was enough to book, to just get booked on their show. Like the alt shows, the white shows that are like so hard to get on. If, if they knew that Marcella had the stamp of approval for a young comic, that, that they were good enough to do those other shows. And it was a lot of work for me. And I'm so glad that I did it because I, I know for a fact that I've given opportunities to a lot of young women, a lot of young women that wouldn't, weren't being looked at because they get stuck in the fucking flappers bullshit and they don't get good stage time in front of a good audience. And that's like an example of like what you can do. You have to do the work though. And it's a lot of work, but you do it and you make a fucking impact and, and it's good. And you fucking pass that shit forward. And that's, that's, if that's all you can do that, trust me, that's enough. I mean, I think that, when we when we talk about these things, people are always like on a global scale, but it's what you can do within your life, within your work, within your day to day. It's it's where the shit really changes. You can make a lot of change in your in the world around you. Flame, how do we how do we form solidarity with other communities? You are in so you're so you're at the intersection of so many different groups who are marginalized. You like to post a child for struggle. <laughs> <laughs> I think you never stop teaching because you never stop learning. I think you never stop teaching because I think that racism is definitely a learned behavior. Nobody comes out the womb racist. You're born into a household where they teach you that. I also think that it's a mental illness. And it also goes back to when you don't know who you are as a person or on the inside, it is so easy for somebody to mind control you and mind fuck you and make you exactly who they want you to be. 
they keep adopt white folks keep adopting black kids and they don't even have the black talk with that black kid because they grow a lot of them grow them up in neighborhoods where they think they will never have the experiences. As long as you have this black skin, you will have to have that black talk. I think that black folks and Latino folks should start adopting white children. It's a lot of white children that need to be adopted and grow them <laughs> up in a black household or in a Latino household or in a household that's different from them. Because if you teach them young, send them to school with diverse people and just show them that love is not a color or a size. Love is just love, period. Grow them up, make their asses become police officers, judges, uh, 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 play, and put them in positions where they know that I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to be able to help my fellow man because I was learned from a black man or from a black woman, for a Latino man, from a Latino woman, how to grow up and just be a whole person. I think that'll make the change. I know it sounds crazy because I don't even know if black people can adopt white children. I really don't <laughs> even know. Don't that evil on black families claim. It's not evil. It's not evil if you teach them young. If you teach children young and oh, show them the way it is. <laughs> Baby, let me tell you something. I'm gonna give me three white kids and change their name to Jaquan, Keisha, and Tyrone. Put their ass in a black school. Baby, they're gonna be wonderful people. And I want me some special needs ones. I want some I want some ADHD, OCD, some trannies, all that. Well, her whole health melting pot in my house. <laughs> but love is no color or size, but so many of these kids, you know, with, with Ahmaud Arbery, with his dad, the boy that killed Ahmaud Arbery, I believe that that boy was born into that house of hate. And of his whole yeah. life, I'm not giving him a pass. Fuck that nigga. But yeah. his whole life, he was trying to prove to his racist father that he was good enough and that he was enough. So he went out and killed a black man in his father's presence to show him that I'm exactly what you want me to be. But I bet you that night after he killed Ahmaud Arbery that he went into his bedroom and his soul left his body because he realized you know right from wrong that I did something wrong. I killed a man. It didn't matter about the color of his skin. I killed a man. I bet you he is empty on the inside, all trying to prove to his father that he was good enough. Right. To yeah. be his son. And a well, lot, I mean, a lot of that raised a good point, real quick. I, a lot of this is about like not having love of self because it's so easy to blame other people for exactly. your unhappy life. And so that's mm -hmm. why you have poor white people saying it's black people's fault, is this and this and that. It's like if you just learn to love and appreciate what you have instead of trying to achieve something that's not realistic, we will all be in a better situation. Um, I, uh, I want to thank you all for uh, being here and I want to invite you to come back because like Marcella booked only the people she wanted on her show. That's the magic of this show. I only book the people I want on my show and um, and I'm going to exercise my power. How very white man of me. Um, but the point of this show is to give, uh, you know, to amplify voices that talk about the issues that affect us um, from our point of view. And we're going to continue to do that. So I want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in because we they've been the, the comments have been like really uh, oh, lazy. Thank you, beautiful ladies. Yeah. I love working with I love working with beautiful women. Uh, <laughs> I, I know because it makes me look beautiful. But that's <laughs> So silly. <laughs> uh, but I want to do say today we commemorate a very big day in the history of ADOS, the African descendant, the American descendants of slaves. 
and um, and my allyship as a woman who identifies Black and Latina, are, and uh, whose journey was completely different. Let us not forget of all of the amazing things that the Black people in America have done for all of us that created a way for us as immigrants, for us as women. And um, and I I just, I'll, I'll end with this because I love my grandmother so much, which is why I have this picture behind me. My grandmother used to always tell me, the reason why people treat us the way they treat us is because they know that we are innately divine and good. And, the, and as Chloe uh, alluded to earlier, the evidence is in the fact that they've always given us their children. And if they thought that we were really violent and they thought that they were we were really evil, they would not hand over their most precious to us. And uh, and as you can see now, you know, you said there are a lot of black nannies. There are a lot of Latina nannies. There are a lot of West Indian nannies. You know, everybody, they're Asian nannies. So apparently they must think that there is something good about us when they hand us their baby. So I want to just say thank you to all the black women who have created a way for us because a lot of black women get swept under the rug and whose journeys are erased. And I want to dedicate this show to the black women before us, the black women who are here and the ones that are leading the charge for the future, including my beautiful daughter. And I want to bid you all a great day. And uh, that includes the woman in you too, Flame. You right? is kind, you is smart, you is important. <laughs> and I will end with this. I'm the bitch that will definitely shit in your cake. <laughs> um, thank you. Love you guys. I'll see you, you next time. Love you, ladies. Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs>